I really believe that many true Christians want to do great things for the Lord. Uh, they want to reach out to the unsaved and share the gospel with them. They want to pray for the sick and, and see the sick healed. They want to give their best to God, whether that be in church or outside of church. And I, I think in short, they just, they just want to do great things for him. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you could... If, if you could if I were to ask you, hey, raise your hand if you want to do great things for God, I think every hand in the auditorium would go up. I don't think there's anybody that would say, no, nah, I'm just, I'm satisfied with where I'm at. No, I don't want to do great things for God. No, I'm just, I'm comfortable. I think everybody would raise their hand and say, I want to accomplish great things for God. A, a lot of people are, are, are unable to or just don't know how to do that. They think that when they share the gospel, those who they share the gospel with are not going to respond. They're not going to uh, you know, they're not going to look favorably on them, and so they, they back away from that. Some people think that when they pray for the sick, the sick are not going to get well. They lose their confidence in God and prayer, and they think that, that, that praying for the sick just doesn't yield any results. So they stop doing it. Some think that their best isn't enough, so they end up going away from church for a time or ultimately backsliding, thinking it's no use. God's not going to use me anyway. But what's the problem with that? What are they lacking that ends up stopping themselves from giving their best to God? What do they lack that ends up, uh, that, that makes them end up quitting? I think at the root of the entire problem is a lack of faith. Faith is, is actually more than what many of us think. Many, many think that faith is just a feeling or, uh, or a thought or just believing in something. It's not just a feeling or a thought. And we could, we could turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, and we won't do that this morning uh, just yet, but Hebrews chapter 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's, it's what we're looking for. We're, we're looking for all of these things that we have promised in the Bible. It's, it's not just a feeling or thought. It's actually a God-given ability to believe God and act on that belief. God said it. I believe it. I'm going to go forward in faith. That's, that's how we go forward. That's how we move forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's a God-given capacity to trust in him, that he will do everything that he said he was going to do. He says very plainly, the prayer of faith heals the sick, right? Do we have faith to believe that prayer can see somebody get healed? He says that, that we can pray for the lost, and we should be praying for the lost, and that, that we can see the lost come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Do we stop praying? Do we stop going? Do we stop doing the things that we should be doing just because we don't see the results the way that we want to see them? Faith enables us. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, we see that faith allowed Abraham to believe God even when he had no idea what he was looking ahead to. He stepped out on faith. In, in Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 16, uh, 17, we read accounts of different people who, who believed that God could heal them and God miraculously healed them. John chapter 3 and verse 16, John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 2 and chapter 3. Faith in Jesus Christ's finished work on Calvary gives us the power to become the children of God. It's all in faith. Faith truly enables us to accomplish great things for Christ. So with that in mind, let's take a look at our passage here in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 4. What a beautiful passage. Paul talking here, and he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath more whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, what Paul is saying is, if you look at me from the outside, 
if you, if you had looked at me from the outside, obviously Paul was no longer this person, but he said, if you had looked at me from the outside, everybody would have thought there is a perfect picture of what a Christian ought to be. There's a perfect cr- a picture of somebody who is really doing something for Jesus Christ. This is what they would look like. I had all the credentials. Nobody could blame me for any of the things that I was doing. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I had all the, the pedigree, if you will, of somebody who, who should have been top-notch when it came to uh, being a Christian. He says this in verse 7. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In effect, what he's doing is repeating what he said in the previous verse. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And I think what Paul is talking about is, hey, go back and look at all those things that I accomplished before I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm forgetting those things which are behind. They don't count for anything anyway. A failure of that, 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 that type of effort brought about. He says, reaching forth unto those things which are before. All of our attention has to be on that which lies ahead and not on what's in the past. Those things that he's talking about are all the victories of the cross, reaching forth unto those things which are before. What are those things? He said, God has a lot of victories that he still wants me to accomplish. I press toward the mark. That's our spiritual target for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? Christ-likeness. When we become like Jesus Christ, and of course we're never going to attain, and that's what Paul is talking about in verse number 12, not as though I had already attained, either we're already perfect. We can never get to that sinless perfection. There's a lot of religions out there that are trying to get to sinless perfection. And when they finally reach that level of sinless perfection, then God's going to let them into heaven. That has nothing to do with it. We're going to sin even after we're saved. We're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're never going to attain that sinless perfection until we get to heaven someday. But Paul said, it's not that I'm not trying to do that. It's just that I I can't. Not as though I had already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I'm following after Jesus Christ. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to live holy. I'm trying to live righteous. And how do I do that? Forget the things in my past and reach forward to those things which are before. Christ-likeness ought to motivate us to live for Jesus Christ, but that takes living by faith. How do we live like Christ? You have to step out on faith. You have to trust him. You have to believe that he can help you with those things. Faith in God. That's the one thing that will allow us and motivate us to do great things for him. So how can we have the faith to accomplish great things for God in this life? Let me give you three simple reasons this morning. But let's pray first. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to preach. I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. I pray that you would give me the words to say this morning. I pray that you'd help our hearts to be open so that we can see that you want to do great things through us. God, I pray that our hearts would be in a position where you can use us. I pray that our lives would be clean so that we are available to, to you to be used. 
And God, I pray above all that we'd have the humility that, we could, uh, that we'd show that, that would allow you to work through us in the greatest way possible. And God, I pray that each person would leave this morning thinking God can accomplish great things through my life if I'll just let him. I pray that you'd guide in the service this morning and we thank you for all you do in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to see, and these points this morning are very, very simple. It's not gonna be anything hard. It's not gonna be anything, uh, a 10-step process that you gotta work through and all of these other kind of things to get to the point where God can use you in your life. But make no mistake, God wants to use you. God wants to accomplish great things through you. Not so we can walk around and say, oh, look at all the great things I accomplished. Because honestly, those who accomplish the great things for God are the ones who are the most humble. And most of them don't even realize that God is doing great things through them. But we can accomplish great things for God. How? Number one. Or why? Because God says so. Very simple. God says that we can accomplish great things for him. Turn maybe over just across the page of where you're at there in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's all. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Boy, you can turn to some of these passages if you want to. Psalm 60 and verse 12. Through God we shall do valiantly for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. God said we can accomplish great things for him. God said that we can have victory over the world. God said that we can be an overcomer for the cause of Jesus Christ. But that takes faith, often a great amount of it, because it feels like we see so little accomplished for God in our timetable. I think that's, I think that's one of the reasons why so many people have such little faith, because we start to put our faith in God, and we start to trust him, and then we don't see the results that we wanted to see. At least we don't see him in our timetable, God, you should have answered this prayer request for me already. Why haven't you done this? Fine, you're probably not going to answer it, and you're not even listening anyway. Right? That's what we do. We get discouraged, and we quit. We stop. We quit giving God our best because, well, he's, just, he's not there for me like I'm trying to be there for him. As if God is not there for us the way that we're there for him. Boy, I think if the tables were turned, we'd, all, we'd realize how often we fail God in that aspect and how God really is faithful to us. But we give up so easily. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 55. Let me remind you of this passage in Isaiah. And I say remind because I think it's a passage that you know. But we need to be reminded of this often when it comes to our our faith in God's timing, our faith in God's ability. Why Why hasn't God healed me yet? Why hasn't God healed my loved one yet? Why hasn't God saved this person that I've been praying for to get saved for so long? Why is God not doing those things? He must not be concerned. He must not care. Let me tell you this in Isaiah 55 and verse number 8. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse number 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. If God says that we can do great things through him, then don't you think we would be wise to take him at his word? 
After all, he sees the end from the beginning. He knows the course of our life from the moment we're born until we're going to take our last breath. He knows what that is. He set that course for our lives. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Don't you think that that means that God knows the course of our life and the way that it's going to take? He knows the next step that we need to take. We, we can only see with a little flashlight right in front of us. God sees it as if it's the sun with everything bright on the entire path. He knows. I, 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 had the, uh, I, I taught English for 10 years. And during that time, I had the kids memorize some different poems. And one of them was a poem called The Weaver. It says this, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. God knows what we have going on in our lives. God knows what the next step is. God knows when he's going to heal and when he's not. God knows when he's going to uh, do the different things that he does in our life and when he's not. He knows the answer to that question, but he's expecting us to throw ourselves completely on him. I find it interesting that on our text, Paul says he forgot those things which are behind. Forgetting those things which are behind, Paul says. I think that includes the victories that we've won for Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of Christians that have done a lot of great things for God who are doing absolutely nothing for him today. They've been a Christian for a long time, and they've, they've accomplished some great things for God, be it in, in, in a ministry as a Sunday school teacher or be it in, in, a, you know, in a little back room somewhere where they're accomplishing some great things for God and for, and for the ministry and for, for the work of Jesus Christ to continue going forward. But they're looking back and, oh, I used to, and remember back when we... And I used to do all this kind of stuff that God had for me to accomplish. And I accomplished all those things for God. Man, those were the days. No, these are the days. God still has you here for a purpose. You might be young. You might be old. You might be somewhere in between. If God has you alive, then God has something for you to accomplish. And God knows what that is for you to accomplish. And God says that he can use you to accomplish great things. Just because you feel like you're past your prime, maybe, doesn't mean that God can't do great things through you. Hey, you may not be able to do the same things that you always did, but you can get on your knees and you can pray. Man, I'm telling you, many of the revivals that took place in the, in the, old, in the old times, and I'm saying the old times because rarely have we seen a revival in the last 50, 60, 70 years. But in the old days, revivals would take place, and oftentimes it could be traced back to some, some older lady or some older man who determined that they were going to get down on their knees and not get up until God did something in their nation. And God heard their prayer. Now, they couldn't get out and go do all kinds of things that maybe they used to do, but they can pray. And they're soldiers winning battles by fighting on their knees. We can all pray, and you don't even have to get on your knees to pray. I know that's the posture that we assume most of the time, but, but you, you might be too old to get on your knees. It might be too hard for you to get down on your knees. I don't know, but you don't have to be on your knees to get a hold of God. You don't have to be in a prayer closet to get a hold of God. You can get a hold of God any time of, of the day, anywhere that you are. And the Bible says that we ought to pray without ceasing, right? That means we ought to be constantly in a mindset of prayer. 
God brings somebody to your mind, and you ought to pray for that person. God brings a need to your mind, and you ought to pray for that need. God brings something to, 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 to your mind, and you ought to be willing to pray and able to pray. So few people are actually on praying ground with God that they can't just stop and pray for something that needs to be prayed for. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And most people have iniquity in their hearts that God can't even hear their prayers, even if they were to stop and pray. But most of us know that, and so we say, well, I've got that going on. I've got to get that taken care of before I can actually pray. So they just don't pray. Instead of getting that taken care of and getting on praying ground with God, they just don't pray. And then we wonder why we don't see results. We wonder why we don't see God use us. We wonder why we don't see God moving in a mighty way through our lives and through the lives of those that we come into contact with. I think that, I think that includes the victories that we won for Jesus Christ, but God has so much more for you to accomplish. But I also think that what Paul is talking about when he's talking about forgetting those things which are behind includes the past failures. You know that God never consults your past to determine your future potential? God never looks at your past and says, wow, that's pretty bad. I guess I can't use you now. No, God never consults your past to determine your future potential for him. He looks at your past and he says, hey, if you're saved, all of those things are under the blood of Jesus Christ. Put them in the past. Turn around and go forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. Those things are in the past. That's why it's the past, right? If it's in the past, you shouldn't be looking at it. You should be looking ahead. Those things are behind you for a reason. So many Christians let the devil hound them with their past, and it may be their past before they were saved that they, they just feel like they can't get over, or it may be their past since they've been saved. But here comes the devil whispering in your ear, and he says, man, you've, you've been saved a long time, and you haven't done much for the cause of Jesus Christ. God can't use you. The devil tries to tell you that you cannot win, but hey, remember, the debt for your sin was paid on Calvary. Jesus Christ's blood covers those sins. You can forget those things because he has. It says he's put our sins as far away as the east is from the west. He's buried our sins in the deepest part of the sea. He says, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. He's forgotten them. Why don't you forget them too and go on for the cause of Jesus Christ? Don't let the devil use your past against you. There's nothing in your past that the devil can hold against you. God wants to forgive you and has forgiven you to forget the past and reach forward into those things which are before. And by the way, Satan, you're a defeated foe. I've read the end of the book, and we win. The songwriter said it this way. Satan just cowers to think of the power he lost when the cross had its day. And gone are the mornings when fear without warning would win and again have its way. Now when Satan reminds me of things I regret, I bring up Calvary lest he forget. High on the mountain of sorrow and shame, grace signed my pardon as Christ took the blame. When I'm called to answer for my history, Calvary answers for me. Jesus Christ covered my sins and God says I can still accomplish great things for the glory of God. We can have faith to accomplish great things for God because God said so, but also because God's done it before. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. We could start at the beginning of the Bible and start working our way through all the wonderful stories, but we have a great summary here in Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to move through this quickly, but I want to read a bunch of these verses in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. 7, by faith, Noah became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. Verse 11, 
Through faith also Sarah, received, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, a saying to do, were drowned. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Verse 32, and what shall I say more? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Verse 36, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. I'd say some pretty great things that, that, that those are some pretty great things that they were able to accomplish through Jesus Christ, don't you? Fast forward through history and we read the stories in Fox's Book of Martyrs about those who were drowned and burned at the stake and, and uh, pulled apart by horses in tortured chambers, set, uh, separated from their families and, 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 and uh, their families were made to watch as they were tortured and, and, and uh, watched them suffer unto death, but they were able to set the world on fire for Jesus Christ. They, the Bible was translated into English, and the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. Let's bring it into more modern times, and allow me to tell you a story that I've told you before. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher, just a simple Sunday school teacher. Worked a job, did, had, had his own uh, had, had his own job that he where He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't in full-time Christian service or anything like that. He was a Sunday school teacher. And I say just a Sunday school teacher with tongue-in-cheek. But he got a burden for the young boys in his class. He taught a, little, uh, a young boys' class, a teenage boys' class, and he knew that so many of them did not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they would come, and, and they would go, and he finally convinced himself to go witness in the workplace of one of his Sunday school pupils named D.L. Moody. And he went into that shoe cobbler and told him about Jesus Christ and he walked out of that place of business that day feeling like he had completely failed to share the message of the gospel in a way that D.L. Moody could understand and get saved. But he did what he was supposed to do. He shared the message of the gospel. D.L. Moody did understand it and he got saved. He accepted Jesus Christ as his savior and D.L. Moody went on to shake two continents for the cause of Jesus Christ. America and England both saw revivals under the ministry of D.L. Moody. John Chapman attended a revival that D.L. Moody was preaching, and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. During one of his revivals, because John W. Chapman went on to become a preacher for Jesus Christ, and during one of his revivals that he preached, Billy Sunday came forward and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. 
after he had attended one of the Bible studies. Obviously, you know, Billy Sunday preached some great revivals himself, and in that revival, in one of the revivals that Billy Sunday preached, a, a man by the name of Mordecai Ham was present. Mordecai Ham came forward during the invitation to profess his faith in Jesus Christ. He, too, had attended a Bible study, and he accepted Jesus Christ during that service that Billy, Billy Sunday had preached in that revival. Mordecai Ham became a great preacher of the gospel as well. And he was preaching a service, a revival, actually, in which Billy Graham was present. And Billy Graham came forward in that service and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. And this is getting a little bit more present for us now. You know Billy Graham and, and of course, the Crusades and all of those thousands and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior because of Billy Graham's preaching. And that's where my father-in-law and my mother-in-law were sitting one day watching a film that Billy Graham had produced when they both walked forward and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And my father-in-law became a pastor, and he raised his family, and my, his youngest daughter, my wife, accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And we have three kids that are sitting in church, all having accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior today, all because of a simple Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball, who allowed God to use him in a great and mighty way. A Sunday school teacher that thought he was a failure. Sunday school teacher that didn't feel like he was up to the task. A Sunday school teacher who just did what he was supposed to do. And look at the thousands, no, the millions that have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior because a Sunday school teacher said, God can do some great things through me if I'm just available to him. We could sit here the rest of the year telling stories of what God's done in the past. We could be here till next month if I started telling you stories of, of the ways that I've seen God work in my own life from the time that I was just a little kid till now. I, we could sit here till the end of the day telling you stories about what God's done in our church in the past five years and the way that God just worked out some amazing, amazing things for our church. How do I know that we can have the faith to accomplish great things for God? Well, number one, because God said so. Number two, because God's done it before, and I want you to see this lastly. God can do it again. Let me let you in on a little secret. We're serving the same God. We're serving the same God that all of those that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11 served. We're serving the same God that all of those who preached and saw people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior served. We're serving the same God as Noah. We're serving the same God as Enoch, the same God as Abraham and Sarah, the same God as Moses and Rahab and Barak and Gideon and Samuel and Samson and David. We're serving the same God as Paul and Peter, serving the same God that Edward Kimball and D.L. Moody served. We're serving the same God as David Livingston and Adoniram Judson and William Carey and Leonard Ravenhill and so many others that have gone on to do great things for the cause of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. God has not lost his power. God's not lost his ability to save. God's not lost his ability to take people out of uh, miserable situations and use them in a great and mighty way. God can and will and wants to, and he can do it again the same way that he did it in the past. Oh, we love to read the stories and the biographies of how God used those men and how God used those women to do great things for him, and we think, boy, if God would just do that for me. God wants to do that for you. He will do that for you. He can do that for you. 
God can use us today the same way that he used the great men and women of the faith in the past. If we will be just that, great men and women of the faith. Do you want to see revival? Do you want to see God accomplish great things through your life? He can and he will. See, when Adoniram Judson was lying in a jail in Burma with 32 pounds of shackles around his hands and his, his, his feet, tied off to a bamboo pole, he had gone to Burma to try to give them the message of the gospel. And for seven years, for seven years he preached and not one person came to know Jesus Christ as their savior. And he finally found himself in a prison cell in Burma. 32 pounds of shackles around his ankles and wrists, tied off to a bamboo pole. And he was laying there, and one of the prisoners that was there next to him said, Dr. Judson, what about the prospect of the conversion of the heathen? Mocking him almost. What, what now? You came here to try to convert the heathen. Look at you. And Adoniram Judson turned to that fellow prisoner, and he said, the prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. Didn't God say that we're more than conquerors through him? Didn't God say that we've overcome the world through him? Didn't God promise, the vic promise us the victory? Then will we have the faith to believe that he can do it again? Will we have the faith to believe that he can use us to do it? He's looking for clean, usable vessels. Have you been broken? Allow him, as he says in Jeremiah, to make it again, another vessel that seems good to the potter to make it. Well, I'm too broken for God to use. No, not if you get back on the potter's wheel and let him make you another vessel, make you into something that's usable to him. Are you dirty and stained with sin? Allow him to clean your life out so that he can use you, right? What happens when you get a, a, a cup or a bowl or something like that that's dirty? You say, oh, well, never, I can't use that again. That, that bowl's dirty, and you throw it in the trash? No, you put it in the dishwasher or you get it in the sink and you clean it out and then you say, wow, now there's a clean bowl. I can use it. And that's exactly what God is looking for us, looking to do for us, right? Well, I'm, I'm too dirty. My life has got so much stuff in it. God can never use me. No, absolutely God can. Get in his dishwasher. Let him wash you out. Let him clean your life out. He'll use you again, but he doesn't want to use a dirty vessel. You wouldn't. Why would you expect him to do that? You wouldn't put out a, a, a dirty bowl that's got stuff crusted on the inside of it and fill it up with cereal and milk, would you? You wouldn't do that. Why would you expect God to use a dirty bowl? But you know what? Oh, there's a dirty bowl. It's crusted with all kinds of stuff. I need a bowl for cereal. Let me go wash that out so I can use it. That's exactly what God wants to do with us. Let him wash it out so that he can use us. He wants to use us, and he will use us if we just allow him to do that. See, there's a lost and dying world outside these walls that are just waiting for some Christians to get on fire for the cause of Jesus Christ. The world needs us. Because if we're not Christians who are on fire for Jesus Christ, if we're not Christians who are willing to be clean so that God can use us, think about how many people outside of these walls will never come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. because I'm not willing to be clean, because I don't have the faith to believe that God can use me. I don't want to have to stand before God someday and hang my head when I see everything that he wanted to accomplish through my life that he didn't because I was not available to be used, that he didn't because I didn't have the faith to believe that he could actually do it. I don't want to be ashamed as I stand before him to have to admit that I just couldn't give up those few things of the world 
to allow him to fill me with his power to accomplish those great things for him. By the way, those who accomplish the most for him accomplish the most for him because they're not out to do it for their own glory. Their primary goal is to bring glory for Jesus Christ. I'm not, trying, I'm, not, I'm not using this as a motivational speech to try to get you to motivated to say, I can do great things. I can do great things. I can do great things. No, but we can do great things when we humble ourselves and get to the point where we say, God, I just want to be used. When we get to that point, then God says, okay, now I can use you. Now I can use you. And we can accomplish great, for, great things for him without even ever looking at it as, boy, I accomplished great things for him. Right? That's exactly what will happen if we're, if we're able to accomplish great things for him. We're poised for a great revival in America. I believe that as much as I'm standing here. Oh, this, this, this country's gone way too far. God can't do anything else. Oh, look at the politics. Oh, you know, we get into all these conspiracy theories and everything else. And uh, No, l- listen. I know there's probably a lot of things going on behind the scenes that we know nothing about. What good does it do if we know about it or if we don't, right? What this world needs is a bunch of Christians who are not so involved in, in politics and so involved in conspiracy theories and all of that other kind of stuff. What this world needs is Christians who are on fire for God that will share the message of the gospel. You know what will change this world more than anything else? Christians who are telling other people about Jesus Christ. You want, you want to see change in the government? Go win some of them to Jesus Christ. You want to see change in your community? Go win some of them to Jesus Christ. You want these people to stop killing babies and doing all these other things that they're doing in this world today? Go win them to Jesus Christ. That'll change their life. You don't need to change their mind politically. You need to change their heart spiritually. God can do that, and he wants to use you to do it. And I'm not saying that there's not a a time for us to get involved in politics. I'm not saying there's not a time for us to stand up for, for our freedoms and all of those kind of things. There absolutely is. But if we were more concerned about the souls of men than we are about all of these other things in politics that at the end of the day are not going to matter... We can do great things for the cause of Jesus Christ, not for the cause of America or for our own personal good. I still believe that America is the greatest nation in this world, but we're losing it quickly. And the reason why is because we're no longer a Christian nation. What does the Bible say? Blessed is the nation whose politics is all in line. Blessed is the nation who has good politicians. Blessed is the nation who's got good economic policies. No, what does the Bible say? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We can see God do great things in this nation again, but it's only going to be when Christians get right with God and get back to the business of what Christians are supposed to do, and that is winning people to Jesus Christ. We're poised for a great revival. You know why? Because when things look the worst, that's when God gets the most glory out of what happens. Oh, if things are going well and, oh, these churches are exploding and, and uh, you have some of these big-name national pastors that are getting up and preaching, and we can say, wow, look what those people did. We're in a position now in America where if, if this nation comes back to God, it's only going to be because God did it. Not because some man got up and preached or somebody, whatever else. God did it. And I believe we can see a revival in this nation again. I believe we can see a revival in our community. I believe we can see a revival in this church. But it all comes down to faith. Do we believe, can we believe that God wants to and will and can use us? I want to be a part of that. A.W. Tozer said this, God's looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. 
Mendelssohn once visited the cathedral at Freiburg, and having heard the great organ there, he went into the organ loft and asked if he would be allowed to play it. Well, the organist, he was old, and he had been at that organ for a long time, and he was jealous over that organ. And at first he refused, but after just a little bit of time, he was finally willing to allow whoever this guy was to play the organ. And so Mendelssohn sat down, and, and just after this just the ecstasy and the delight that came out of that organ, that organist walked up to Mendelssohn and tapped him on the shoulder, and he said, Who are you? What's your name? Of course, he said, Mendelssohn. And that organist almost fell down on his knees, and he said, And can it be that I had so nearly refused to let Mendelssohn use this organ? Christians often refuse to let God have their way in their lives because they're afraid of the outcome. I don't know what's going to happen if I give my life to Jesus Christ. I don't know what's going to happen if I allow him to use me. I don't know what's going to happen if I have to give up all of these things that I just can't let go of. But can it be that there's so many people out there that God wants to use in a great way who are just stingy with their life, can't let go of it. God, you can't have it because I don't know what you're going to do with it. Little do they know that if they would just let God do as he sees fit, the outcome would be a lot greater than anything they could ever dream of. God wants to accomplish great things for your life. How do I know that? Because God said so. How do I know that? Because God's done it before. And I'll tell you this. God's still the same God, and God can still do it today. Won't you allow him to use you to accomplish great things for him? Ah, it might take some cleaning out. If you're not saved, it might t it's going to take accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior before he can ever use you. But if you are, it, it might take some cleaning out. It might take some remaking. It might take some remolding. But there's no more capable hands that I want to put my life in than the hand of the potter. There's no more capable hands than God's hands that I can put my life in and say, you do what you see fit. Use it however you want to use it. I can promise you this. God will use you in a greater way than you could ever even comprehend right now. You can accomplish great things for God. You can accomplish great things for the glory of God. You have to be available first. God said so. God's done it before. And oh, God certainly can do it again. And boy, what it would be a great thing if we allowed him to start it right here in this place. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for the stories that we have in the past. I thank you for the word of God and for the way that we can see just how mightily you've worked. God, I pray that you give us a great burden to see you do that again in our own lives. If just one or two people in this room this morning were to get on fire for you, there's no telling what you could do. One little fire can start a great brush fire. One little match can do a whole lot in the way of getting other people lit up for the cause of Jesus Christ. Mm, I pray that it would happen. I pray that you'd burden our hearts to be right with you. I pray that you'd burden our hearts for holiness and Christ-likeness to the point where we're willing to separate from anything in our lives that need to be separated from in order to be used by you. And God, I pray that this would be a whole church full of people 
that one day stand before you and say you accomplished everything in your life that I had for you to accomplish. Pray that not one of us would have to hang our head in shame and say, man, look at all the things that God wanted to do through me that I was just not willing to allow him to do. I pray that you'd convict our hearts this morning. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. The piano's going to play. The invitation's open. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you want somebody to take a Bible and show you how you can be saved, that's the first step.